Welcome back to WiseCast, the podcast for women in STEM and education. I am Dr. Richa Chagher. And I'm Dr. Amber Miller. In today's episode, we are focusing all our efforts on communication, science communication, the good and the bad, and how to do better. But before we dive into all of that, Richa, how did you dress for success today? So I think that I, you know, my dress for success was about being relatable to the public and the audience that, that you know, um, receives me on a daily business or not daily business, daily, um, you know, on the daily, right? And that, you know, are, that's my students, right? That's the, the younger generation, Gen Z. Um, and so, well, this is kind of, it's kind of funny because I, I bought these squirts at Costco, like a set of them, right? And they're just really comfy and you know how everything is off leisure with Gen Z and, and I've embraced that, I think, in the last couple of years as well. Um, I don't think if you saw me walking around campus or down the street, you would think I'm a professor in this uh, squirt. But what a practical invention <laughs> in the clothing um, world. So, and I think that kind of relates to what we're, you know, having um, in, in this conversation today with our guest, which, you know, we, we were just talking about, like, loved this topic. This topic is super important, um, you know, as scientists, our social responsibility and, and how we, you know, meet our audience, right, halfway, but at the same time, they have to meet us. Um, so it's not just a one-way um, kind of dialogue. But how about you, Amber? How did you dress for success? Yeah, I love that your your concept on trying to be relatable and how that ties into our conversation today. I kind of took like I have this shirt. It was a gift from from um, one of my co-workers, colleagues, if you will, on women on our women in bio Texas leadership team. But it says um, girls just want to have fun in red. But then it really is funding for scientific research. And I just thought like I saw this shirt and I fell in love it and, and Sahar got it for me. Um, because it's just that catchy, like we all know that girls just want to have fun song and it's, it's fitting, but then it's like taking it to a whole new level. Like, what do we really want? And I've seen this, like girls just want to have whatever for a lot of different things. Now it's kind of catchy. And I think this also ties into how we use these different, um, high social impact kind of things that are making these impressions or things that we can relate to and that we know and how we translate them then and use that as a starting point to kind of further our message and further our mission, which like this year does, says that we, we need money for research, right? And, and we need women in all the things. And so I think that that is also very relatable to, to our conversation today. So today we are so excited to be joined by a guest from across the pond, Panayota Pimanidu, a chemical engineer with 15 years of experience in international academia, including two tenured positions as an assistant professor in hydrogen safety and chemical engineering in the UK. She is an advocate of communicating scientific innovation directly from the creators and mentoring doctorates to affect innovation meaningfully and positively influence society. She is the founder and hostess of the Global Greek Influence podcast, primarily primarily a technology podcast that aims to connect the fragmented notions of all that determine today's innovation through the journeys of global Greeks in various fields, directly and indirectly linked to technology. She is also the creator of the Lean In Circle, Women in STEM Research, an ambassador for Greece of Steps for Europe, a nonprofit civic startup based in Belgium that has been created to reinforce the European public sphere and promote the values of the EU and its cohesion and integration. We're so excited that you're here with us today. 
Thank you so much for having me. And I'm pretty sure we're going to have a really interesting conversation around communication in science. Yeah, I love this because we're we're so aligned. You know, you're clearly, you know, also a big uh, proponent and advocate for women in STEM. And then with your academic background and, you know, in communication with science, um, trying to provide it directly. I, I'm really interested in kind of hearing what, you know, you've seen or um, experienced in terms of poor science communication or science communication that missed the mark. Honestly, through my podcast, most of my guests uh, have been quite experienced in communicating their scientific findings. Um, and I would say that they have been much better science communicators than I have been. <laughs> Um, and it's very interesting to see that uh, coming from academics today, maybe you're not quite used to see academics communicating uh, their research uh, in such um, simple way, but not oversimplified. Yeah, I think that's the challenge for, for scientists, depending on what the area that they're trying to talk about is, if it's their area of research, it's really hard for us to not just get into all the nitty gritty details that we're super excited about, that we want to share, that are advancing our research, and really try to take that step back and think about how do we tell a story that's going to engage our current audience in a way that makes sense and draws them in. Um, so often, I think for me, when the poor science communication it's like I can picture those talks that you go to where it's like this big general audience of people and then they dive straight in. They use all the acronyms that nobody knows what they mean. Um, and, and we still deal with that sometimes in non-scientific talks, right, is we're so used to all of our symbols and the technology jargon that we use on a daily basis that we don't remember, right, that other people don't understand what the acronyms stand for or what they mean or why we care about them. And so it's really like you get into what we often refer to as alphabet soup, right? And that it's just over and over again and you have no idea what is actually happening or what the point of any of this stuff is. It has to do primarily with our training. We are trained to communicate in a very specific way that is well accepted across academia and across stakeholders in the academia who have not been really trained to communicate our scientific outcomes to a broader audience, even to the industry, we, which is our primary collaborator, especially these days. If you don't really have research collaborations with the industry, this means that your research is not of uh, commercial interest, does not have an impact to the society. We are further away from what researchers used to do over a century ago when they primarily conducted fundamental research. So true. And, and, you know, what you said about the training um, in graduate school, yes, we, we do a seminar, we do it in front of, you know, other people in the department and, you know, the faculty, but communicating to your family members. So I, I'm actually teaching a science communication class right now this semester and, I, and my students, they, they're, they hide behind the technical 
And so I said, go practice to tell a family member, your mom, somebody who's not, you know, doesn't have a science background, give them your elevator pitch, right? Like go, you know, can you do it that concisely and convey the significance, the impact and, you know, just enough of the scientific detail. And then the other part is, you know, convincing people when it's, you know, something controversial or you, you need them to like change their mind about something with policymaking. And quite often you wonder how much information the, your audience can take, can actually take in and can take away after you, you're finished, after you're done. It's um, communication for scientists today is a completely different level. And it's something that we need to get used to and adapt quickly and strategically to our messages for a specific, for a targeted audience, while at the same time, we have to remain focused on communicating facts yeah. and not trying to oversimplify information because the trap there is that by oversimplifying uh, research data, you can make something sound bigger than it actually is. And this is what scares us the most. We want to be very precise in what we communicate. We want to be truthful about our results and their magnitudes of uh, impact uh, while underlining their importance and contribution to a specific problem. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. The the whole wanting to be precise because, you know, as as scientists, we know there's always error and there's uncertainty and all the things that we we always kind of approach it that way when we, you know, well, studies show this or the data, you know, is indicating this, but, you know, the conclusion, you know, is is it's more maybe a correlation and we we don't want to make that leap and and I I agree with you on that. And we all know that when we use words such as indication or that there might be some statistical errors that we have measured and calculated, um, a broader audience is not that much impressed. Right. They're more used to really impactful, uh, loud headlines these days. So, so we wanted to spark a little controversy. And do you think that the public is open to good science communication? Mm -hmm. In your question, by asking about public, about the public being open to good science communication, the keywords are open and openness. The public, we should not forget, are individuals with different experiences and backgrounds, and they're more willing to accept what is relatable to them. And we can even see that among experts in other sectors or businesses. If we consider the characteristics of different or any audiences, then science communication, good or bad, is subject to interpretations by individuals. And interpretations are based on what we know and accept beforehand as true. Our interpretations and openness are affected by our learning experience, how we learn, and what we make out of an experience. How we learn is our indicator of how open we are and what we make out of an experience is our interpretation mechanism. So 
yes, some of the public is open to good science communication, some are not. And nowadays, this can be proven or supported by the readability, for instance, of good scientific communication or the listenings, the number of listeners of a podcast or of a podcast episode. But I'm under the impression, and I'm not sure if you have the same impression, that people who access and are open to good science communication are less vocal on social media. Then, as scientists, we always have these questions. Could we train the public to identify good science communication? Could the institutions help improve science communication? And we can start exploring such questions within the broader context of science communication. At the same time, how do we evaluate our experience of communicating specific expert knowledge to other expert audiences? Or even have feedback from, for example, social scientists with whom we might have the opportunity to work, to, to work together on a multidisciplinary project. And these are just some ideas about communicating science. Then do we have meaningful reasons to communicate our findings as researchers beyond our expert audience? We are most used to communicate our scientific outcomes in conferences, or in scientific journals articles? Are we given the liberty to develop our personal direction in communicating science with custom-made support? Should we be given opportunities to be trained? And we all know, as we've already discussed that, as researchers, we do not get the training to communicate to a, broad, to a broader or a more diverse audience. Yeah, so true. I mean, and we're doing our part, you know, as podcasters, you know, in, in our little, uh, you know, group here. Um, and then the other aspect of it is that, you know, social media and, and the public is on social media. And, and now I'm hoping and I'm seeing it with, you know, the younger um, generation, those who are in graduate school, I see so many um, you know, accounts of influencers, sci, you know, SciComm influencers now. And, you know, so what, what are your thoughts about, you know, social media? Should we go be there? Should we, you know, meet the public there? Should we, you know, invest any time and energy? I think we should. At the same time, if we had challenges as scientists to communicate our research through the more classical media, I would say we are more challenged now to communicate our scientific knowledge or any scientific knowledge through the social media, such as Twitter. So what we see of Twitter has become, um, in my opinion, Twitter is the ultimate playground and arena of global ideas and opinions. Objectively, it is challenging to communicate meaningfully, effectively, and truthfully within 280 characters fitting in a tweet. To create an impression or impact on Twitter, you have to make a loud statement. And good science communication is not about that, but being balanced and communicating carefully. 
of course, we can start, I can start, you can start a Twitter with a loud statement and then break it down into some follow-up tweets where you explain and deliver a balanced scientific message. But will this gain you many followers? And the question is, do you want to have many followers? Because if we move away from the self-confidence boost one might get from crowd-pleasing on Twitter, there is no professional recognition coming from the Twitterverse. We primarily see that successful professionals gain a lot of attention for their views, not vice versa. We do not see typically those who gain Twitter's attention becoming successful professionals unless a grand communication strategy goes hand in hand with an overall professional strategic vision. So communicating science should be about adding value. And going back to social media, I see that mainly good science communication goes out of the window as social media have become less about informing and more about entertaining and letting some steam off. Now, what should we do about that? Can we find ways of communicating through these means our science? Well, again, this requires some training and some design of the messages that, want, that we want to communicate. Also, having a discussion beforehand with specialists within a field, people who work on Twitter strategic promotion or communication, even getting some feedback from social scientists. I know this sounds a lot of work, and I know this is something that is not always a viable uh, way of communicating science, as most of us have our own professional lives. But I guess if this is something we really want to do, and I'm not saying that all scientists should be engaging in science communication, but those who do want to engage in science communication, um, unfortunately, we need some training. And as it is customary these days to say, we need some changes in our mindset because we communicate uh, very, we communicate specifically hard science. It's so tough, right? And what you're saying about it, you have to have it kind of aligned with your professional strategic vision. Otherwise, it's another social responsibility that we're carrying. Um, and as women, we're carrying so much social responsibility of, you know, being the do-gooders. Um, I do think, you know, personally, I think that as, as scientists, we do have some level of social responsibility, but it's, it is difficult, right? Like to you know, balance that with like, do you want the followers? Do you want to be entertaining or do you want to be and finding that balance? Um, and I wanted to quote an article, um, a, a quote from an article from PLOS, uh, SciComm. And it was it was a really interesting read. Um, and it's titled, it, it doesn't seem like it would be about science communication, but it is from litter boxes to COVID-19. 
Given that public mistrust of scientists is at an all-time high, it is now more than important than ever for us to communicate effectively and clearly with non-scientists. We have an obligation as experts in our fields to communicate our work with those it directly impacts. And I know you're saying that maybe all scientists don't have to do that, but you know, what, what do you think um, or who do you think should hold this social responsibility for pushing quality science communication? Without any doubt, as you mentioned, scientists, engineers, researchers, and professionals in science, um, technology, engineering, and maths, we are responsible for presenting our factual outcomes and effectively communicating scientific evidence relevant to the best understanding of scientific information to the public. Now, if the mistrust towards scientists is at an all-time high, I would say that did not happen overnight or during the past almost three years that the pandemic has lasted. I would split this mistrust into three categories. The fact that non-scientists, journalists, have primarily performed scientific communications and politicians and in general public figures. Let's take the case of reading a chart where data over a time period are presented, but in an article are correlated, which is entirely accidental with no scientific explanation, and we can be led to an overgeneralization of that data, while these intricate results correlation can lead to false deductions. Also, the lack of exposing the public to hard scientific data and scientific communication for the sake of entertainment does not really promote the audience's best critical analysis of information found anywhere on the internet. And of course, the less active involvement of scientists in dynamically informing non-expert audiences, including in politics, the industry, and various sectors of the economy. Um, especially in the past three years due to the pandemic, scientists have been put in this awkward position to apologize for non-expert spread of misinformation, including that scientists are corrupt because their facts do not align with what has been widely disseminated. And we see sometimes anonymously through the social media or selectively by well-established show hosts inviting a single guest to promote a specific direction agenda rather than inviting a panel of experts to allow their audience to draw their conclusions. So the answer to fixing the all-time low in trust in science is the scientists who want to engage in science communication to do that more actively and be trained in effective communication education to train citizens in critical thinking and politics, as well as other industries and various sectors of the economy and economic activities to embrace scientific communication directly from scientists. Yeah, and I think all this is, I, I, it's 
there's so much that goes into all of this, right? And all these points that you're bringing, you know, kind of had me thinking about how, like, I'm terrible. I go through these peaks and valleys of watching the news and trying to be like a good social, like a citizen and know what's going on and be aware and informed. But I feel like lately or more recently, and maybe it's because I'm older and I'm more aware than I was when I was when I was younger, but it feels like that the, the media systems just want to push either their agenda, the big controversy, make something more extreme than it needs to be because they think that's what it's going to get to get people to follow them, to listen to their stories, to be engaged, right? And that there's more dis, like um, division between different media sectors because of political views and all of these other things that I wonder, like, when did we get from reporting the news and information to being about reporting the news and information? Like, how do we get back to that? And this, like, I just want the information. I don't need the slant. I don't need to be scared if it's not like I don't need to be scared about all of the things that are happening today. And, and so is there any, I don't know, I feel like there should be some ownership on the media outlets to go back to actually reporting the news and giving us interesting information, but not to such a slant that like you're, you're keeping me from actually getting accurate information. It's not just the media that uh, allows the interpretation of scientists by non-experts. It's also that... Um, citizens should be re-educated on social media use because what we see are many anonymous accounts or many fake accounts on Twitter spreading information, claiming them as truth. And then as this quote-unquote truth multiplies, becomes the new truth. And then we have to in a sense, explain why this is not true instead of explaining from the beginning what is valid. So this is why I broke my in, my, in your last point, that we have to focus on three areas. It's not just about the training of scientists in communicating the results. It's the embrace by the media and politics and the industry to put in the front line scientists to communicate their work and thirdly to educate citizens in critical thinking so it's not it's not just our responsibility as long as we live in a society with many factors that uh, determine today's life yeah, it's I, I like that it's not all on us, first of all, and it's not our fault completely that there's been this, you know, level of miscommunication and um, the re-education of, of society. I think that's the crux of it. Um, and I think that's going to be the toughest part. You know, I do see it with with my daughter. They they've been taught to like, oh, check your sources, et cetera. You know, but um I, I don't know at what level that's happening. You know, hopefully it's happening in the education system for the younger ch children, but we've got plenty of people out there in society that are, you know, my mom included, um, I, she hasn't been listening in a while, so that's okay for me to say this, but she would send me those in all capital letter messages she would get on WhatsApp that were, you know, just propagating through family members. And, and these family members are educated people. So I'm, 
you know, I'm like, she would send it to me. I'm like, I don't have time, but I will, you know, later, like, look up all the things to refute all the stuff that you've sent. And I'm like, stop wasting my time with all of this. Stop sending me these, you know, four words in all capital letters. And it's out of control. Facebook can't keep up with it. Um, you know, the, they just, the technology companies can't keep up with it. And every, you know, like you said, there's all these fake accounts on Twitter, LinkedIn, everywhere. Um, it just feels like that's spinning so far out of our control. Unfortunately, this is what we have to face while being balanced and being truthful to the broader public. So I guess if we take it back to what's inside our control, right, which is how we as scientists communicate and avoid or overcome miscommunications, what tips do you have for us to be better scientific communicators? Well, as scientists, we have to prepare ourselves for specific audiences, but also to identify ourselves what the purpose of this communication is to a particular audience. So, firstly, instead of asking ourselves how we are going to communicate, we have to ask ourselves why we want to communicate and what we want to communicate. For instance, if we share our findings with external stakeholders, investors, we would like to gain support. Similarly, communicating with the public is not only about gaining support, but also about educating, standing up for knowledge, disseminating knowledge, fostering and strengthening trust to science. In the case of government, public organizations, or within the industry, on top of the different uh, aims we might have for communicating to a specific audience, our communication can become as a medium to collaborate by stimulating new or to revise policies or to revise or to stimulate new research to promote an overall change. To perform any of these more effectively, we should always see the specifics of our audience and the purpose the audience would want to be informed of specific scientific findings. So, for instance, the broader public might want to find out more about research in terms of how that research affects them. So it's up to us to choose a presentation or instead to have an open dialogue in the form of a conversation we would have, for example, with um, our friends and family. Similarly, when we are asked to convey our expertise through social or traditional media, the main reason might be, again, the audience to know more about our research. Or maybe they want to know what makes our findings from a study important, why these findings are significant, and how they complement or diverge from other outcomes in the same adjacent or different fields. We might have more difficulty when it comes to communicating research of science to the industry, as they are primarily interested in profits. In this case, we should work closely with experts 
in the specific industrial and financial fields to ensure our science is not misinterpreted in terms of missing the point or in terms of over or underestimating our research to deliver financial gains. And whether we work in the academia or industrial research and development, colleagues and collaborators should focus on information that supports the prospects of working together. And we might also have an excellent opportunity to showcase research achievements and vision to promote leadership roles within an industry. Generally speaking, the order we present our scientific communication should be the opposite of the way we structure that scientific communication when we present science to an expert audience verbally or in writing. So instead of starting from the specific results, we can start from the conclusions of our results and what the main findings are, then work backwards to how we have achieved those results. In a sense, we have to balance between memorable key messages and avoid oversimplification. Also, becoming relatable by using the language of a specific audience means that we have to study that audience beforehand and confirm our, under, our understanding by having informal conversations with them or with social scientist colleagues. Most importantly, instead of presenting to having a conversation or a dialogue, as some academics might have engaged with more interactive teaching and research and learning methods, researchers can be reminded of the purpose of the specific communication by promoting their audience's participation through not only Q&As, but even by commenting on social media posts, like debugging myths we find on social media relevant to our research expertise. So speaking out on relevant misinformation or partially presented information while promoting the audience's familiarization with an understanding of scientific knowledge. And also we can assist the audience to see the scientific contribution in a bigger problem that provides a particular solution that affects and impacts them. Great advice. <laughs> you know, and I, I like the starting with the conclusions, um, you know, part it's, it's what I, you know, also say is like, say what you're going to say, tell the audience what you're going to say and then tell them again, right? Like always, you know, reminding them of that, that impact and what, you know, that part of the message is. And then, you know, because if we get too granular, we get too, you know, detailed, then, then that messaging is lost. So in a sense, we are treated by any audience as if we are a news outlet, because what we deliver to them is news. So they first want to know why this is important to them, why they should listen to us. Mm -hmm. And then we can explain to them why this is important and how it can contribute even to the slightest to a bigger problem. I know it might be a little bit disappointing to an audience to listen that our solution that has been communicated to them and that took 
and, and that took the last five years of our lives can only contribute by 1% or by 0.1% to a bigger problem the society has. But this is a great way for the public to understand how much work a solution has behind, behind it before it's delivered to the society. Because people are getting used to really fast solutions as fast as the social media deliver news. But even though we have advanced technologically to deliver science safer and quicker, still the scientific pace is much slower than the news outlets pace. Absolutely. Society has to, you know, come come to accepting that for sure. And hopefully we move in that that direction. So speaking of, you know, knowing our audience and relating to our audience, we're, we're doing something fun here so that our listeners can get to know you um, a little bit better. We're going to have some rapid fire questions for you. You just answer <laughs> whatever comes to your mind. Uh, Amber's going to time um, us or time me for a minute and I'll just ask you these questions and then you can uh, we'll see how many we get through. Okay, let's go. All right. What is your favorite lazy go-to dinner? I would say spaghetti. Best fashion advice you've ever received? Always have a pair of classical jeans. What are the least likely three words someone would use to describe you? Verbs, not nouns. No, no, words. Words, okay. Um, persistent, futuristic, and um, independent. So I think those are your most likely, right? The most likely words, not least likely. <laughs> this is this is what I want to believe that people would tell about me. <laughs> What's your favorite movie? I've never thought about this, but just coming out. Um, I would say in the cellar. Love that one. Love that one. What non-existent job do you wish existed? Are we up? Are we out of time? Well, yeah, you can do the last one. But what what non-existent okay. job do you wish existed? Time traveler. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we, we are definitely in sync on all this uh, space <laughs> stuff. That's my genre. My yeah. favorite. And Amber knows I, I'm a geek with like all of the, um, you know, interplanetary like books and stuff with like colonization. That's that's my favorite. Maybe maybe this is how our journey is uh, started in science and engineering. And I'm not going to hide this, um, but uh, I was definitely inspired by the original Star Trek movie with uh, the space exploration and exploration of different planets where one could find different uh, civilizations. I love it. <laughs> so we have one last question for you, which is how can our listeners um, connect with you? Well, they can connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, they can find me by my full first and last name and also on Twitter. 
And of course, if they find any interest in listening to scientific communication directly from their creators, they can follow the Global Greek Influence podcast. I know it sounds a little bit focused on Greek scientists, but the scientists uh, deliver their work throughout the world. And maybe you have met some of them. Who knows? Awesome. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, uh, Panayota. We, we had a great time in this conversation. I think we could talk about this for forever, but uh, thank you for <laughs> spending this time with us. Um, thank you very much for accepting to having me as your guest. I really enjoyed our conversation. And honestly, I haven't realized how the time passed by. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. On the next episode of WiseCast, we will be moving to the boardroom. Thank you as always for listening and supporting us. Don't forget to donate to our cause using our PayPal link in the episode notes and share your love of WiseCast with all of your friends. I'm Dr. Amber Miller. And I'm Dr. Richa Chandra.